0: You are listening to Alter Echo, a scripture and message podcast with Pastors Andy Smith and Kim Kylo of St. John's Lutheran Church, ELCA, Lakeville, Minnesota. Thanks for joining us and worshiping with us.
1: Welcome back, St. John's, to the Alter Echo Sermon Podcast. This is the sermon for Sunday, November 21st of 2021. This is the full week before Thanksgiving, and I know many of you are celebrating Thanksgiving a little early or throughout the coming week, so whatever a holiday celebration includes for you this year, I wish you a happy, safe, and healthy Thanksgiving. The first reading for today is from Deuteronomy chapter 7, and if you have a Bible open with you as you're listening, we will be reading verses 1 through 11. And before I read, I will just give you a little bit of context about what we are reading here in Deuteronomy. You remember, of course, that the people of God were slaves in Egypt and God used Moses and his brother Aaron to free the people from slavery under Pharaoh. And then they, of course, um, proceeded to wander through the wilderness in the desert area of, um, between Egypt and the Promised Land for 40 years 40 years of wandering, if you can imagine. And eventually, God sort of prepares the people for where they're going to stop wandering and what will happen. God has told Moses to tell the people about the promised land, the place that they were going toward, the place where they would eventually make a home and have a new start and a whole new life. So that is what God is speaking about in this reading today. Deuteronomy 7, verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are about to enter and occupy, and he clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations mightier and more numerous than you, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must utterly destroy them. Make no covenant with them and show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them, giving them daughter, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For that would turn away your children from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But this is how you must deal with them. Break down their altars, smash their pillars, hew down their sacred poles, and burn their idols with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples of the earth to be his people. His treasured possession. It was not because you were more numerous than any other people that the Lord set his heart on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. It was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your ancestors, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God and faithful God, who maintains covenant loyalty to those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations, and who repays in their own person to those who reject Him. He does not delay, but repays in their own person those who reject Him. Therefore, Observe diligently the commandments, the statutes, and the ordinances that I am commanding you today. Here ends the reading. And the gospel reading for Sunday comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 15, starting with verse 21, which reads Jesus left that place. And went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David! My daughter is tormented by a demon! But Jesus did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the last sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. Jesus answered, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was instantly healed. After Jesus had left that place, he passed along the Sea of Galilee, and he went up the mountain where he sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the maimed, the blind, the mute, and many others. They put all of these people at Jesus' feet, and he cured them so that the crowd was amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. They praised the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for the crowd, because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to Jesus, "'Where are we to get enough bread in the desert "'to feed so great a crowd?' "'Jesus asked them, "'How many loaves have you?' "'And they said, seven, and a few small fish. "'Then ordering the crowd to sit down on the ground, "'Jesus took the seven loaves and the fish, "'and after giving thanks, he broke them "'and gave them to the disciples. "'And the disciples gave them to the crowds. "'And all of them ate and were filled.' And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Those who had eaten were 4,000 men besides women and children. After sending the crowds away, Jesus got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Here ends the reading of the gospel. Dear friends, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What happens when we have two stories in the Bible that really don't seem to line up? Maybe even these stories seem to contradict each other, or perhaps they seem even so completely opposite from one another in style, in voice, in character, in approach, in moral, in value, in ethics, that they don't even really seem to be representing the same God at all. What if in the Gospels we see a generous and caring God in Jesus, who is full of mercy for the Canaanite woman and her daughter, who is full of mercy for the great crowds, of people of every kind with any variety of need or concern or uniqueness, and Jesus is filled with compassion, we see in the gospel reading. Then what do we say, friends, about this Deuteronomy story? A story in which it sounds like God is not only allowing but encouraging, even emphatically directing the people of God, the people of Israel, the people who grew up in slavery to stop at nothing, to take the land that will be their home. That we seem to hear God say in Deuteronomy to the people, that when you get to this place, to this promised land, you should stop at nothing. You should utterly destroy the place. Show no mercy, God says. Break down any of the people's altars that are there, their sacred places. Smash their pillars. Burn down anything that's in your way. Spare no means. Destroy it. Do whatever you have to because this is yours and who cares about the people who have been living there prior to you? Don't worry about them, it seems that God says to the people who have been suffering and wandering through the wilderness. Do we say, friends, of these two contrasting, contradicting, apparently opposite stories, that these two gods don't even sound like each other? Might we say that the God of the Old Testament is simply a God of vengeance, a God of hatred, a God of violence, a God, it seems, in the Old Testament, who is willing to sacrifice anyone or anything else in order to protect his people, in order to advance the cause of his people. It seems in the Old Testament that we have a God who is so singularly minded for this one chosen people whom God loves, that God does not seem to care about anyone else or anything else. Do we say then that this sounds nothing like the God of the New Testament in Jesus Christ, who seems basically the opposite, who is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, the God in Jesus, who is approached by A Canaanite woman who, hint, hint, is not one of his, quote, unquote, people, but is someone from outside of his group, someone outside of the lost sheep of Israel, to quote Jesus from the gospel reading today, it is from a different group of people who weren't expecting Jesus, who maybe didn't yet believe in Jesus, who maybe did not have their hopes and dreams invested in Jesus. He had compassion for her after she convinced him. (laughs) And then he had compassion for a whole crowd of, we might even say, misfits. A whole crowd of people who normally got excluded and cast out and looked over, ignored, because they were different, because they were unique, because they were differently abled and didn't seem to fit or be able to manage for themselves in this We see a God in Jesus who is full of compassion and whose care for others, it seems, is a bottomless pit and knows no bounds or limits or ends or discrimination. What do we say about these seeming contradictions, about these seeming opposites? Can we hold these two stories together or do we need to choose a different way? Dear friends, these stories pose an important and helpful and constructive challenge in our faith as we think about how to sort through who God is for us, not only in the ancient world, but in this world today for you and for me, but also as we try to make sense of what kind of life God is calling us to live. What kind of mission God is calling us to be a part of. And so to help us think about this a little bit, I want to talk about that land that the people were about to enter and occupy, as Deuteronomy said. A land that today is known as Israel and Palestine, which in 2013, I had the good pleasure of visiting with a church group from Bethlehem Lutheran in Minneapolis under the leadership of Pastor Beth Warpmaker, who did her seminary internship in the Holy Land. And so this is a little different podcasters because um, (laughs) in worship on Sunday, I have a series of photos that I'm so excited to share with all of the people. And I don't really know how to share photos with you listeners over a podcast. So, it may be helpful for you to have another device handy if you are interested in seeing some of these images. And you might just Google some of the places that I'm talking about because they're public places and they're on the internet. So, if you would like to, that is available. (laughs) So, this land... This land that God was talking to the people about, that they were about to enter and occupy and utterly destroy in order to basically get the current occupants out. This land has been marked by those words for centuries, for millennia, for thousands of years. People have been fighting over this chunk of land that geographically is no bigger than the size of the state of Vermont. It is a beautiful land. It is a holy land, and yet it bears the scars of the historical ugliness, and it is marked by the current ugliness of war and violence and division. Let me tell you a bit about this land. Over these thousands of years, of division and battle over a piece of property, there has been goodness and there has been destruction. What once was built up, in fact, twice was built up as the temple in the Old Testament that we hear about was destroyed twice. And the remnant of that temple is now known as the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall. It was the westernmost wall of the temple, and they now call it the wailing wall because people literally come to wail at the wall, (laughs) or to pray to bear their hearts and souls and wail in prayer at this wall. People of all backgrounds, from all countries and all faiths, come here to pray, and it is a vision to behold the people praying at the wall. There are also little pieces of paper little snippets of prayer tucked into the cracks between the stones of this wall, because there is something about the devastation of it, about the brokenness of it, and yet the persistence of it standing even still these years, many, many years later, that people come here to pray at the ancient site of the Temple of Solomon. This land continues to be marked by the historical markers of war and violence our group was able to visit the remnants of the fortress called masada which was one of king herod's fortresses a sort of plateau just to the east no to the west pardon me the west of the of the dead sea and if you go to masada you can ride in a little gondola cart of sorts up to the top from which you can look out for miles across the desert and see in all directions. It is, of course, the ideal place for a general's fortress because it would be impossible for someone to sneak up on you here and overtake you. And so, of course, the great King Herod, the same King Herod of the Bible, claimed this fortress of Masada as a place of war and a fortress to secure his position and power in the history, the scarred history of this land. This is a beautiful place that, though it has been marked by war and violence, has grown into a city time and time again, a city of many nations and many peoples. And yet, if you look down from the Mount of Olives onto the city, the old city of Jerusalem, rather, in the Holy Land, you see that the old city is still surrounded by a wall. Because a place that is known for war and has been marked by war needs its walls to keep some in and others out. Our group was able to go to the city of Bethlehem which we'll be hearing about, of course, in just a couple weeks with Christmas and the, prepare, the preparing for the birth of Jesus. And in the current city of Bethlehem, there is a church called Christmas Lutheran Church. Did you know there are Lutherans in current Bethlehem, which is in present-day Palestine? At Christmas Lutheran Church, we were able to hear their pastor, the Reverend Dr. Mitri Raheb, speak about what it is like to lead and care for and preach the gospel to a people who have known no peace, to a people who are always on the brink of war and violence, who sometimes awake to airstrikes and bomb threats, to a people who are so resilient and persist in hope because they live in the place that Jesus was born The Reverend Dr. Mitri Raheb is a prolific and prophetic writer about what justice and peace might look like in Israel and Palestine, and if you are ever interested in reading his books, I have a few of them I would be happy to lend you. While we were in Bethlehem, uh, the Reverend Dr. Mitri Raheb took us to a place called the Dehesha Refugee Camp in the city of Bethlehem. If you're not familiar, that's okay. The Dehesha refugee camp is actually a place where Palestinians live when they were displaced in 1945 by the relocation of the Jewish people. For many of the people living in Bethlehem in that time, they were forcibly evacuated from their homes and relocated to a refugee camp in their own town. While Jewish families moved into their homes. Now, let me be clear, this is not a anti-Jew discussion. Um, the Jewish people are our neighbors in faith too, but neither is it an anti-Palestinian discussion. They are our neighbors in faith too. And yet it is striking to see the Dehaysha refugee camp, which, which hosts the first, second, and third now generation of people who were displaced forcibly from their homes, given no compensation for losing their home, and had to live in dire circumstances for almost 65 years now. And there are children living and walking in the streets of the Tehisha refugee camp And there are people who were willing to tell us their brutal and beautiful stories of living in this place that has been marked by war and violence since millennia before the birth of Christ. This place is beautiful, and it is broken. And it has been for many, many years We were also able to visit, while we were there, another place in Palestine called the city of Hebron. Now you might, if you are a very close reader of the scriptures, recognize Hebron as the place where Abraham and Sarah are buried. The city of Hebron is in modern-day Palestine. It is marked by the presence of active military. If one is going to visit the city of Hebron, You go through security measures akin to um, a cattle processing yard. And there are all sorts of extra measures of oppression that are clear by the occupying forces. And yet, while we were there, we were able to visit the tombs of Abraham and Sarah, which are barred by bars, which have bars on the windows, and are protected by bulletproof glass, because this is a place that has known great devastation and warfare, and because especially Abraham and Sarah are the ancestors of all of the world's great religions, not just ours as people of Christian faith, this is a hotly contested space in the Holy Land. But the first person, the very first person we were able to listen to in the Holy Land was Bishop Munib Yunan, who is the recently retired, bless his heart, Bishop of the Evangelical Lutheran Church, Lutheran Church of Jerusalem and the Holy Land, our Lutheran partners around the world. And Bishop Yunan gave... A clear, heartbreaking, and hopeful message. And I can summarize it in three sentences. He said to us, a church group of Lutherans from Minnesota Do not be pro Israel. Do not be pro Palestine. Be pro peace, he said. Be pro peace. It sounds so incredibly simple in a land that has been scarred with war ever since those people entered into the land in the book of Deuteronomy. And so how, to, how do we proceed? How do we unwind all of this broken and tragic history? How do we sort through A way to not be pro one group over the other, but pro peace and have a new way. When we look at this land, we can see that the answer of violence, the answer of entering the land and utterly destroying it and showing no mercy, as we heard in the book of Deuteronomy, is not the way. It is not God's way, and it is not the way that works toward a future in which we all can live and thrive and be together. There is one last place that I would like to show you today, that I would like to tell you about. And this, my friends, if you haven't Googled anything yet, this is the thing to Google. When we went to the city of Nazareth, which you might remember is the hometown of Mary and Joseph, Nazareth in Galilee. Remember that from the Christmas story? When we were in Nazareth, we got to visit the Basilica of the Annunciation, which is the fancy Bible word for when the angel Gabriel visited Mary and told her she was going to have the baby Jesus, the basilica that commemorates this moment in Jesus' life. The Basilica of the Annunciation is a miracle to behold. It is beautiful because it shows the wideness of God's mercy that we see so consistently in Jesus Christ. A mercy that goes beyond us and them. A mercy that goes beyond violence and war and division and a mercy that embraces the wideness and the vastness and the diversity of all God's people. Because in the Basilica of the Annunciation, we see a depiction of Mary and the baby Jesus from a variety of countries around the world. We see Mary and Jesus, according to the Christians in Singapore. We see Mary and Jesus, according to the Christians in China. We see Mary and Jesus according to the Christians in Malta. We see Mary and Jesus according to the people of God in Spain. We see Mary and Jesus according to the people of South Africa. We see Mary and Jesus according to the people of God in Chile. We see a metallic Mary, and I mean metallic, according to the United States of America, we see the, depiction, the Vatican's depiction of the Pope commending Mary and Jesus from the Vatican. We see Mary holding the baby Jesus according to the people of God in Korea. And we see Mary and her hopes with the light of Christ from the people of Italy. We see Mary and Jesus from Guatemala, from Thailand, and from the Slovak Republic. People of God when we see this array of faith expressed together and we see brought together the fullness of who God is through people of faith, of Christian faith throughout the world, I am convinced that there is no contradiction here because this land that knows only conflict, this land which God has promised to his people, who were slaves and are free, this land that has only known ugliness also knows beauty, a beauty that goes far beyond what we can expect or imagine, a beauty that embraces the kind of mercy that prompts Jesus to feed the hungry and heal the sick and the lame and the maimed and the weak, a compassion that proclaims from Jesus' mouth that even the Canaanite woman could be, Canaanite woman's daughter could be healed of the demon that possessed her. This is the true whiteness and the beauty that emerges even from the ugliness of a history marked with violence and war, that does not need to know violence and war anymore, but can have a future of peace, around the world, and here at home. This is the mercy the mission of mercy that Jesus calls us to be part of, people of God. Jesus calls us to a mercy that is broader and more expansive and more wonderful than our limited imaginations can comprehend. Jesus calls us to a mercy that moves beyond the brokenness of violence and war and moves beyond our instinct to destroy our neighbor to get what we Want or to or motivated by what we fear. And Jesus invites us instead to show mercy, to a mission of mercy that embraces our neighbor, that helps us to put down our walls and our borders and our barriers and look for understanding and peace in the space between nations and in the place between peoples. This is the God we see in Jesus Christ, who is here with us, who calls us to be part of God's mission of mercy, and who is always ever gracious and merciful with us. In this beautiful and hopeful image of the future, let us give thanks and praise to the Lord our God in Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: And now God's word is alive in us again, anew. And we get the blessing of being called to let it echo through us out into the world in which we live. Everyone, if you wish to give your offering now to support things like this podcast and the work and ministry of St. John's Church in Lakeville, Minnesota, I invite you to do that. Please go to our website, at sjlcl.org. I'll repeat it, sjlcl.org. And up in the right-hand corner, you'll see a little button named Donate. Hit that button, and you can give your offering to God and for the work of God in the world through this church in Lakeville, Minnesota. Thank you in advance for the gifts and the offerings that you give. And now as we go on our way, we are sent with the blessing of peace, the benediction. Dear friends, may the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face and the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, till we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. God loves you, everyone. God be with you until next week.